It's June 1st, 1969. It's the Queen Elizabeth Hotel in Montreal, Canada. It's a honeymoon for John Lennon's second marriage. John Lennon and Yoki Ono are hosting what they are calling a bed-in. Many of the protests in those days were called sit-ins, and they invited some press and some artists in the room with them that day to sing the song that Yoki had written, which became an iconic uh, protest song, Give Peace a Chance, was Timothy Leary, the proponent of experimenting with psychedelic drugs and LSD. Uh, Dick Gregory was in the room. Tommy Smothers was in the room playing his guitar as they recorded the song in a crude way and then mixed it later. Give peace a chance. There's even a tribute, as I understand, to uh, this moment in Central Park uh, with a... uh, little emblem of this call to give peace a chance. What if I told you that Christmas is all about God giving peace a chance to humanity? What if I told you that God came running after us with a heart full of love and grace and a heart given to forgiveness and reached for us when he became man in his son, Jesus Christ. At Christmas, God gave peace a chance. Now, if 2020 has given us anything, it has sort of crowded out all room for peace. This year has been anything but peace-inducing. High anxiety would be a more apt description of what we've experienced. And it's fascinating to me that this lack of peace, this high anxiety, is butting up against the celebration of Christmas this year when God gave peace a chance when he became one of us in the person of his son. What if God was using the coronavirus crisis around our globe to invite humanity to the peace that he's always wanted us to have. That's what's before us this morning and a prism through which to look and see Christmas. God gave peace a chance. I want to have two points this morning. The first one, I want to look at 2020 and ask and answer, what has 2020 brought to us? Secondly, I want to go back to Jesus and Bethlehem and the manger and ask, what has God brought to us in the person of his son? That's where we're headed this morning, and I'm glad you're here with us. First, the coronavirus brings our world a cocktail of loneliness, despair, and fear. Now, we all grieve differently But there's no one who's lived through this year that has not suffered at some level, and it's been disproportionate, some greater than others, a measure of loss. Some have lost their jobs. Some have lost loved ones. 
Some have lost their normal routine. Everyone has experienced some sense of loss in this year. And we grieve and we lament and we all grieve and lament differently. And then we've been quarantining, many of us, alone. Now what is true is that our mental health is not doing well in 2020. Mental health professionals have taken surveys for years on the status of our mental health in America. The scores coming in for 2020 are said to be lower than at any point in the last 20 years. They haven't been this low since 2001, of course, after September the 11th. But it's not just America that's experiencing this. It's not just us. It's, it's globally. Let's take Japan. More people died of suicide in Japan in October than died of COVID infection. In fact, an astonishing statistic emerges that suicide among women in Japan increased by 82% in October of 2020 in comparison to October 2019. In that article that I read about this, they said mass unemployment, social isolation, and anxiety are taking their toll on people globally. It is said we are despairing. People are losing hope. They lose their job. They beat the bushes for another job. They get a few interviews. They're not hired they get discouraged and they cease trying to find that next job. And then there's, you know, if loneliness and despair is not enough, then there's real fear. Uh, there have been few years in recent history that we've experienced fear like we've experienced it this year. Uh, even people without comorbidities which make the year a bit more faithful, uh, fearful. Uh, diabetes, heart disease, asthma, uh, compromised immune systems all bring a greater threat uh, and susceptibility, we are told, to the COVID infection. Well, some, of course, uh, are stricken with COVID. Some have no comorbidities and are stricken. It can even seem random. Uh, Jason Walsh, who faithfully serves our student ministry, his family lived in New Jersey for a few years and were loved by another family, a 48-year-old father cruising through midlife with his wife and, as I recall, the family, three children. Uh, decent health gets COVID, is admitted to the hospital, put on a respirator, it waxes and wanes a little while, and he died. In fact, um, the day we celebrated our 100th anniversary and uh, had the concert on Sunday evening, it was like, just ordered especially for them, they had watched the funeral online and then came that night and were encouraged by the hope that can be ours in knowing Jesus Christ. But people have experienced fear. The gifts under the COVID tree 
It's a terrible cocktail. Being alone, being afraid, and losing hope. Any one of those is debilitating. You put three of them together in a chain, and that's tough. Alcohol consumption this year is way up. It is said that the abuse of substances is way up this year. The things that we've relied upon for our securities, uh, things that we thought were going to save us and always be there, jobs, uh, entertainment, uh, sports, uh, money, plenty. Uh, well, they seem to be not the fail-safes that we were counting on. And of course, there's always the pharmacy. Why can't we get anything that we need at the pharmacy? Why? We need sleep. We just go down and buy it at the pharmacy. We need uh, to relax. We just uh, go talk to the doc and get it at the pharmacy. The pharm even the pharmacy seems not delivering on the promise. And the traditional things that people have used, the indulgences to bring them peace, uh, alcoholism, uh, immorality, like a mistress is really going to bring us to peace. And we stand, as this year closes, maimed by this 2020 COVID year. And there's never been a year when Christmas made more sense. There's never been a year that sets us up to understand what it means for Jesus to be born. I'd like to take two verses from a Jewish prophet, Isaiah, who 700 years before Jesus was born, came. So if that's what the coronavirus has brought to us, what does Jesus Christ bring to us? Jesus Christ brings to our world the opportunity of peace. Here is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, you may remember this from a passage that Handel uses for a sweet piece in Handel's Messiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, and here it is, the title we're thinking of today, 700 years before he's born, Isaiah says, call him the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Hear the word of the Lord. According to the Bible at Bethlehem, the Prince of Peace was born. Now, this term, Prince of Peace, uh, the word prince is, is a term from nobility. It means the chief one, the head, the one who's at the top, the fountainhead of whatever it is, the, the, the prince. And he is said to be the chief, the prince, the head of Peace. Now, the English word peace is appreciated and rich, but actually the word used here is a Hebrew word, 
uh, you may have heard it before, even enunciated, shalom. And it's a bit more robust than the English word peace. It means a comprehensive peace and being settled with our past. How many of our pasts are besetting? How many of us have wished to resolve issues from our past and make peace with our past? Here is one who is the prince of peace. But it's also peace with our present, our present experience, what we're going through. Some of us are not very pleased about what we're going through with our bodies. Some of us are working through diseases or people we love are stricken with disorders that are difficult. Some of us are facing tough circumstances at work, tough circumstances in our own personal finances, tough circumstances in our extended family. Our children are going through things that's cutting us in half. Peace with our present circumstances. And what about the future? Has it ever looked any more uncertain and even at some level foreboding? Although, thank God in his common grace for the development of a vaccine which may be providing light at the end of this darkness. But what about the future? What about looking as Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 31 in the Bible? She smiles at the future. How many of us can do that with a settled peace? The Prince of Peace. The prince, the chief. It is said that the greatest professional basketball player in the leagues playing right now is a man named LeBron James. Here's his picture. He's called King James. The king. The best. The authority on what it is, in this case, playing basketball. King James. The one over all the others. Here is Jesus described as the prince of peace. The chieftain. The prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It's an unbounded set. It's infinite in peace. I would like one large glass of infinite peace. Isn't that what our hearts cry out for? When the angels announced his birth, they said, this is now good news of great joy for all people. A Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. And what would his coming mean? They went on to say, Peace to those with whom he is pleased. But I ask you, why? Why does Christ's coming bring about peace? Jesus Christ brings our world the opportunity of peace. But when you think about peace and what would really bring peace, you think of the fundamentals of peace. They are threefold and they answer the cry to the worst part of these days first. I am not alone. God is with us. Our broken world can seem like an awful lonely place. Normally, you throw in COVID and all that we've experienced this year, 
And if there is such a thing, it's gotten lonelier. I remember I went to college 14 miles away from the home I grew up in. I went to Cedarville University, 14 miles away from Springfield, Ohio, where my house was. And then I went to graduate school, Dallas Theological Seminary, and I went, you know, over 1,000 miles away from home. I knew one couple in Dallas when I went. It was a great adventure, arrived on campus. The day had come. I'd just gotten engaged and left Andy, and that was horrible. But uh, drove there, got all my stuff in my room, and it was this Spartan room. It's a nice room, but, you know, it was a Spartan room, and we were all single billeted in the rooms, and I got all my stuff in, and I shut the door, and I sat down, and I thought, what in the world did I get myself into? Here I sit, alone, in Dallas. I know one couple. I must run them down. The coronavirus has made us all feel like we are in a single room with the door shut, not knowing anybody that's outside the door. We feel estranged from the life that we have known. Christmas asserts two wonderful realities. One, someone is at home in the universe, and he has made himself known. We are not alone. This living God, too, has revealed himself to us in Jesus. Here's how John described it. One of Jesus' followers, he was actually in that boat that Julia was reading about in that story from Galilee during Jesus' ministry. You have the three great verses that explain everything in the first chapter of John. In the beginning was, here's a name for Jesus, the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you have verse 14. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the unique Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John, just to put a bow in the package, says this in verse 18 of chapter 1. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Eric, what was going on at Christmas? God was making himself known in Jesus, and in particular, manifesting himself as one who could bring us to what we so yearn for, and that is peace. He's Emmanuel, God with us. I am not alone. God is with us. God has entered our lonely world, and he invites us to himself. Secondly, I need not, I am not alone. God is with us. I need not despair. God is able. Despair sets in when we feel like our options have been reduced to none. People are despairing, but Christmas has come right on time. The God who is there is an able God who can sustain us. I have a friend from Soviet Georgia. He actually is the head of a university ministry of some renown in, uh, in America and has a great ministry there. He married an American girl. They got married in America. And the wedding party flew back to Georgia to have a reception. 
and to be with his family and celebrate it with all those who couldn't come to the States for the wedding. Back in the days, of course, we were traveling. <laughs> well, the wedding party, the ladies, decided that they were going to descend upon, they're in the capital city of Soviet Georgia, they were going to descend upon the ladies' health spa, get their hair all dolled up, their makeup just right, you know, med uh, pedicures, manicures, the whole nine yards, and they were going to have a great time before the reception in the afternoon, and they got to the establishment in the morning, right as a rolling brownout was going across the city. We in America have grown to trust the reliability of the utility grid. It's not that way all over the earth. If you traveled, you get these places where to conserve energy, you have rolling blackouts. So there they were, and the bride is exceedingly upset. Oh, no, what are we, we going to do? We were just set to be all ready. Well, she called her husband upset. Now, by the way, she didn't just marry anybody from Soviet Georgia. Her dad was the head of the health ministry for the government. He was a real good friend of Edward Shevardnadze, who was leading Soviet Georgia at that time. And uh, Bacho said, well, let, let me, uh, you know, okay, I'm sorry. Let, let me make a phone call. So he calls his dad, and to the astonishment of the ladies in the wedding party, in just a few what seemed like brief moments, the lights come back on at the spa, and they go back in to get it cared for. Now, of all people you'd want to go to Soviet Georgia with, you'd want to go with him, because he was so well-connected, he could actually change the dynamic of what was being experienced in the moment. You see, Jesus Christ introduced himself to his followers as one who could affect change. In fact, the story that Julia wrote made Isaiah 9-6 come to... Uh, she didn't write that. She actually just read it. <laughs> she's good, but she's not quite that good. Uh, the story she read crawled into the heart of the disciples. And it gave them a way of looking at Isaiah 9-6. Call him the prince of peace. Because at the very moment when they thought life was the worst, and here they were, a bunch of veteran fishermen. They've been on the Sea of Galilee before. They faced storm after storm after storm. They were old hands. By the way, if I'm in a boat, I never get scared until the captain turns white as a sheet and looks like he's very afraid. Then I start getting afraid. These veteran seafarers, they conclude this, we're going to die in this storm. They were in the midst of a threat, and they began to conclude that they were going to die. By the way, it wasn't until they were in the midst of a really hard day that they came to see who Jesus was in a way that they would never have seen unless they'd have gotten involved in that really hard day. What if it's true that we couldn't see Jesus for who he is until we were drugged through 2020 to get to Christmas? Isaiah said, here's the birth announcement. Let me tell you who's coming. The Prince of Peace. Well, that meant one thing as they read it. But after he stood up in that boat and said, peace 
be still, and that death trap turned into Lake Placid. They had no deep insight into what it meant for Isaiah to say, this is the prince of peace. After that, they said, you know what? This is one who can deliver on peace. This is one who can affect change. Threatened with death, no problem for Jesus because he is the prince of peace who's generous to deliver it. The disciples were marked by that experience. There's limitless opportunity for peace with this prince. Whatever the threat, however big the issue, and some of you are facing threat. Some of you are facing tough issues. Be encouraged. The prince of peace has come. And he couldn't love you more and be more interested in you. Finally, I am not alone. God is with us. That's what it means that Jesus came. I need not despair. God is able. That's what it means that Jesus came. Finally, I am not afraid. Jesus died for us that we may live. Now we know it. And it's been one of the nagging reminders of 2020. We are mortal. We are, all, we are all going to die. There, I said it. It's true. But in the face of even the threat of death, we can have peace and hope and life. Death is God's curse upon our rebellion and our disinterest in him. It comes naturally. The wages of sin, and we've all sinned in thought, in word, or in deed. We've all broken the law of God and are separated from God. We created the war. He created the peace in coming in his son, and he invites us to that peace. The wages of sin is death, but... The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Come to this peace. This little Christ child, God in human flesh, would go on to the cross where he would take our hell and our guilt and our shame and our death upon himself. So we, in acknowledging our sin and believing in Christ, could take up his life and his hope. In Christ's death on our behalf, he dismantles death and defeats this horrible enemy and brings us into life, eternal life, unbounded by death. He brings us to peace. A settled peace with come what may none of which will change what is promised to us when we know Jesus Christ. Jesus was praying on the night that he was arrested, and he prayed, this is life eternal, that they might know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's face it, there's a very real anxiety that we might get COVID, and thank God that most all the people that get it cycle right through it with few symptoms. Not everyone. A few become sick 
A few of those become hospitalized. A few of those face demise and are put on a ventilator. And a few of those face death. But when we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we can face even death with peace. Because it's not the end. It would simply introduce us because we know Christ to eternal life. Apart from this broken world that reels with the effects of sin. Now, this is John 14, 27. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give, this is Jesus talking to his followers, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Receive such peace. In 1962, Don Richardson, with his wife and son, burdened that other people would hear about Jesus, got in a canoe in some obscure place on the other side of Papua New Guinea, a place called Irianjaya, and rowed off to what National Geographic would call a, one of those Tribes that time had left behind. Some would call a prehistoric tribe. Nobody knew anything about them other than they were numbered with many. And they rode up and these Sawe Indians saw them and they were fascinated that their skin was white. They'd never seen anybody with white skin. They began to live with them, and it was kind of a novelty. They had something that other villages didn't have. They had the white couple with the little baby living there. And Don Richardson said about learning the language of the Sawi Indians, wow, was that a chore? The conjugations of the verbs involved 18 different tenses altogether in some, and the verbs had something like six different types of conjugations for each word expressing an action. And he had to master it all and, and worked and uh, was able to learn the language. And it was a hierarchical place that have chieftains, and he got all the chieftains together when he had learned the language, and he said, I've come here to tell you about God and to tell you about Jesus. And he told them the story of Jesus. God made us. We walked away from him. God came running after us in Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. When he got to that point, they laughed. They considered Jesus a dupe. That Jesus was foolish to have died. That that was not impressive to them at all. So the story of the resurrection, the story of the call to follow him, it meant nothing to them. And time after time, he pounded away, got nowhere. Then, what seemed to him to be, what was it, the biennial war with the neighboring village broke out yet again. Except this time, it seemed to have a voraciousness that was extraordinary. 
arrows were flying around the place where he and his wife and his son were living. And he said, if we stay here, we're going to die. And it was a hated village next to them. So he called a meeting with the elders, very concerned. And he says, look, you either stop the war or I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm going to get killed if I stay here. To his astonishment, the war stopped. But what was even more astonishing was how it stopped. The two tribes came together. The same warriors who, what, hours ago had been shooting arrows at each other. A newborn infant was taken from the arms of a grieving mother, fathered by a leader of the tribe, who took the child and handed it to the leaders of the neighboring village. And as soon as they received the child, they turned around and walked back to their village. And Richardson was aghast. He said, what in the world did I just see? What just happened? So he said, please, you, you tell me what just happened. He said, well, we just gave up the peace child, and the war is over. He said, well, what do you mean? Well, there is a tradition that we have that trust is built through great sacrifice. And we just gave them that baby. And as long as that baby lives, there will be peace through the giving of that child between these two warring parties. When they got there with the explanation, Richardson said immediately, I want to speak to the elders of this community. And they all got together in their elder meeting house. And he said, I have a story to tell you. We made war with God when we walked away from him. But God loved us so much and so desired to bring us peace because that war brought all kinds of disarray to our spirit. And he sent his son, Jesus, and gave up his son to make peace with us. And I'm inviting you into that peace by receiving Jesus. Immediately, the elder said, why didn't you tell us that before? This is fantastic news. You mean the God who made everything that is, made provision that we could have peace with him through his child, the peace child. We receive Christ. And a movement of Christianity broke out among the Sawi Indians, but still going strong today. And it's a movement God started at Bethlehem so that peace on earth could come to people like you and me. Do you know of such peace? Father, bring peace to us afresh today. Thank you for making it possible through Jesus. Amen.